Ah, yes, friends. On a Monday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast where you know we are your host over there, Andy Makowitz, healthy, wealthy, wise. And over here, Adam Armbrecht, breaking it all down for you, whether it's going to be here or over on the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy, Doug Norrie. How are we, sir, kicking off a Monday as the offseason continues here and we, we finally get back to, I think, what is the essence of OGP? And that's offensive line talk. Well, Adam, uh, I'm doing good today. Thank you for asking. I'm wearing a red shirt because I just saw about 8,000 giant players wearing red in, in you know during camp. And I just figured in, in honor of that, I'm not necessarily injured. I just don't want to have any physical violence or contact against you today. So Certainly. Uh, by the way, something that we'll get into a little bit later when we talk about maybe the wide receiver room. All this week long, we're going to be looking at position battles throughout this roster. We've obviously talked about a lot of holdover players, uh, guys that are either potentially on last years of contracts, maybe cap casualties, right? There's a big one that I'm excited to get to that we talked about last week a little bit just in Julian Love. But even a guy like Kadarius Tony, right, who's going to not be touched for a little while with a minor uh, knee surgery little little procedure not a surgery procedure we call them but makes it for interesting conversations around what expectations are when we know the overarching theme for the giants for brian dable for joe shane availability reliability consistency all that good stuff so today though we are going to talk about the offensive line in particular one player again coming off of injury in shane lemieux the overall turnover there and what it means for the giants but before we do andy if i could um, are you a man who believes that you can glean things about the potential for an NFL career based on a first pitch? Ooh, that's a tough one. I would say, yes, I am one of those people. So then what do you take away from Kayvon Thibodeau or Thibodeau, depending on how you like to make jokes, um, throwing out the first pitch of the Yankee game, obviously it, it looked solid, little, little high, little wide, not a lot of heat on it seemed like he was trying to play it safe, maybe split the difference of throwing one violently into the backstop or short hopping it by three to 10 feet. You know what? I, I, after watching guys like 50 cent and others just completely sure. implode on the mound, the, the, the whole goal of, of first pitch is it, you don't have to be spectacular. Just don't end up being on one of those blooper reels where they're like, and Kayvon Thibodeau is one of the worst pitchers ever. It's, it's different. I, I equate it to like the national anthem, Adam, where like, if you're in a big moment, you need a big singer like Whitney Houston or something to just like absolutely crush it. If it's like a Tuesday night, you just need to sing, you know, sing it normal, sing it as best you can get out of there. And everyone gives a little golf clap. That's really what Kayvon Thibodeau did. Check the box and let's get back to business. Yeah. I think uh world series game one, Whitney Houston, uh, you know, dog days of summer game one twenty three. Adam Armick in the shower. I think that that's the plenty, plenty enough of quality on the vocals. No one needs to know how good or bad that may be. Exactly. Over in camp for the New York football giants, though. We are, of course, talking about the offensive line and the depth. First and foremost, the Giants cut down from last year to this year. The offensive line coaching staff, it was as many as four last season. Cut down just to two here, headed up by Bobby Johnson, who was certainly brought into the, the Giants. And I think this, this is Dable, too. It, like you're, you're hearing this get echoed wink martindale on the defensive side the giants are trying to this coaching staff is trying to bring back i think some of that new york football giant mentality right be gritty be dirty and not in a not in a penalty you know bad play kind of way but those hustle plays that edgy mentality bobby johnson seems to the forefront of bringing that to this offensive line and he's liking and seeing it across the front including handing out a couple of nicknames along the way 
Well, Adam, the, the funniest part that you mentioned there is the previous regime decided to bring in more coaches for the offensive line than actual offensive line players that could be on the roster. And, then, and always it, more. that's what they say. I mean, it, it's great. Gettleman, Gettleman always saying, you know, well, uh, well, clearly we think high, more highly of, of the players that we have in here than you do. And it's like, yeah, well, you have you have four or five, six different offensive line coaches. How about we bring in players that can compete on the offensive line as opposed to 12 different coaches? So I do like that yeah. they've trimmed it down. Bobby Johnson seems to be saying all the right things. He's got the messaging about grit and determination and aggressiveness. You know, he did mention uh, a little bit of, you know, tongue in cheek scar tissue from the previous regime in terms of learning different techniques or ways to go about things that people are going to have to unlearn in his new system. But it seems to be resonating. You're seeing the videos from, from, from camp. All the players seem to be loose and excited and, and want to be there and compete, which is a little bit different than I think what, what we saw last year. Yeah, for sure. And obviously they drafted Evan Neal at the top of the draft class. You add him in with Andrew Thomas on the left side there. You have your bookends. You feel like both young players. Um, and you hear Bobby Johnson talk about some of these guys. Somebody has familiar with, like Feliciano at the center position. Biggest offseason acquisition across the offensive line is going to be Glowinski. Signed him to three-year, $18.4 million deal. So that's, you know, they're, tr they're trying their best to take this in one offseason and say, we are significantly better than we were the year prior. We're correcting the biggest, most glaring issue on that side of the ball. Um, and one of the players that also thrown into this bag of guys coming off of injuries, and we're going to touch on uh, Nick Gates coming up on up here in a little bit, but among those players would be Matt Pert, who had an ACL injury last year, Nick Gates, who obviously had the broken leg, just absolutely gruesome injury, and then also Shane Lemieux, who was coming off of that knee surgery where he ended up missing the entire season last year. Specifically on Lemieux, you come in and you have this player, fifth year, fifth round draft pick. We obviously know flashed a little bit that rookie season, looks strong in run protection. Eh, something to be desired on the pass protection side of it. But Bobby Johnson comes out saying Frenchie, which is the <laughs> which is the nickname that he has uh, for Shane Lemieux. He said he had a, a very high grade on him coming out of Oregon. I really wanted an opportunity to coach him. Now I have that opportunity. Is he doing what I'm asking him so far? Yes. Is he doing it at a high level? Yes. And he also went on to say that he's doing it without any limitations. Um, this is the first position battle here. And I found it interesting when you hear the way it's being talked about in camp. Lemieux right now is being listed as the starting left guard alongside of Andrew Thomas. We'll get to who's waiting in the wings maybe to challenge him here. Where do you stand on Shane Lemieux? I mean, you know, are you are you confident in the possibility of him being the starter? Do you think that he should be afforded to be the starter coming in? Understanding like the injury is one thing, but then also the production, right? He was good in one phase of the game. He was subpar slash the worst when you talk about 500 reps his rookie season and pass protection in the NFL left guard. Oh, so this is a tough one. Um, Adam. Shane Lemieux is is a question mark for me. I, a couple of years ago, was clamoring for him to start over Will Hernandez week one of the 2020 NFL season. Then. And, and, and so I was all about Shane Lemieux all the way back then. You know, Will Hernandez showed that he couldn't perform at, at, a, at a competent level. Shane Lemieux came in, didn't really look much better. And then, you know, obviously Shane Lemieux comes in. And as you mentioned, in 2020, he was the worst pass blocking offensive lineman of 167 of them. And so the, the problem that I have is it's okay to be decent in the run block. You have to be competent in pass blocking. Yeah. The reason why we need to see what Daniel Jones has is because he was getting killed 
by by Nate Solder on one side, Shane Lemieux on the other. Like it was it was a turnstile at every single offensive line position. I, I I struggle with this because I do like Shane Lemieux and I think he does have the ability to grow. But the size of Josh Azudu, he's six four, just like Shane Lemieux. He's got ten more pounds uh, on on Shane Lemieux. And even if he's just like middle of the road in pass blocking, you're already going to get better results than what you got from Shane Lemieux. And that's the battle that's going to be underway in camp. All indications are it's Shane Lemieux has the position right now, coming off the injury and obviously being in his third year with the franchise, um, you know, quote unquote, at least a veteran by, <laughs> by turnover New York football giant standards. But Izudu is the player. They're saying that he's going to be the guy that has the opportunity in camp to overtake Shane Lemieux and become the starting left guard for this football team. Now, we're going to get into the center position here in a second, but um, you know how I feel about it. I talked about it when they drafted him. I've been talking about him all offseason. I'm going to keep talking about him. Like I think that he is capable of, and you would prefer, I would prefer, that he be the starting left guard here going forward, maybe just for the simple fact. Again, fifth-round pick in Shane Lemieux. He's, I don't think that he's the future of that position right now, especially once you turn over a regime. So Azudu is their pick. They took him very high in the draft for a reason. Like Joe Shane believes in him. Brian Dable believes in him. So I, I think if he plays him anywhere close to on par in, during the course of the offseason, you have to give it to Azudu because what are you what are you solving? Again, to your point, it's not like you know, even a veteran player that you can talk about, even a Will Hernandez, like let's put him in the mix there, right? Very inconsistent, very up and down, very suspect on the offensive line. And also, if the battle was between Will Hernandez and Joshua Zudu, you would say, well, this is a guy who's at least played significant reps at the position. You know, his reliability and consistency there to whatever level of play that is. When it comes to Shane Lemieux, this is coming off the injury, getting himself acclimated, and then showing that he can do something that to this point he has not shown any ability to do, and that's the pass protection you mentioned. So this is where it's tricky for me. It, it, it you know, I don't, I don't look at this as negative because Shane Lemieux could knock the doors off of Bobby Johnson. But to me, this is a little bit of lip service for Shane Lemieux. I think that he could still be a nice backup on this team uh, at maybe at both guard positions. Remember coming out, talked about him a little bit at center. Could be a possibility too. So maybe he has some interior depth for the Giants. But I want Azudu to win this battle. I hope that we start to hear in the coming weeks that Azudu is coming on a little bit quicker than people anticipated and starting to take over those reps. I am curious to see how much Andrew Thomas's input affects who ends up getting that guard spot because I've mentioned it at nauseum. The times where Andrew Thomas looked the worst and everyone was down on him saying the Giants made the wrong pick, he was a bust, was when Will Hernandez was next to him who graded out as one of the worst guards in all of football, right? Then you move forward to Shane Lemieux who can, who, who in 2020 could not stop anyone. That was when, you know, Andrew Thomas was still trying to come into his own and started to look slightly better. I don't want Andrew Thomas to have to do two jobs on one side. I want him to be able to focus on being the left tackle of the future, have his responsibilities, and only that. And I feel like if Shane Lemieux is the starter, it's almost like Andrew Thomas has to overcompensate a little bit to make up for deficiencies that Shane Lemieux has today. We're, and we're going to move on to the center position here. My last thing, on, uh, I, get, I know what you mean, and I hope that Azudu is the more consistent player, and that's why you want him next to Andrew Thomas. And also, you're Andrew Thomas. You're one of the top draft picks in your draft class. I don't care. You could ha you could have literally a sack of flour next to you. You got to be able to do your job. And, and I know what you mean. What about the secondary piece of it? That's fine. Like this this coaching staff is going to assess what's happening next to you unto itself. You need to be able to do your job and do it effectively. Like there are plenty of offensive linemen around the league that are saddled with 
rookies or bad veterans or aging players or guys that flat out aren't good at their position and they still still excel. So I, I again, if it, this was a third round pick that was starting at left tackle for us, I would I would get that a little bit more. I push back on it because you're a top draft pick. This is your job. You need to go do it. No one's going to look over at Evan Neal and say, boy, I sure hope whatever happens at you know right guard doesn't saddle him. You need to be able to do your job and do it effectively. Well, I got I got one more piece piece to this that I think is interesting. Uh, we talk about Shane Lemieux being a quote unquote veteran because he's been in the league for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Let's still, let, let, let's not forget that Shane Lemieux only played 17 snaps last year. He's coming off a patella injury, which which is not an easy one to come off of necessarily. And so, like, he's been out for a year, and then the previous year he was one of the worst guards at pass blocking in the entire league. So, like, when we talk about him having the inside track. It's almost by default, just because he's been in the facility for a couple more months than Azudu. Not necessarily anything that he's shown on the field or talent-wise. No, and that, and, that, and again, that's a part of this turnover process, right? Again, we, we we've been saying this all off season. It's not a one-year process for the Giants because you can't just replace everything in the blink of an eye. Even if Azudu ends up taking over that spot, you're going to have to deal with some growing pains for him at the left guard position. Even if, as we turn our attention over to what we're labeling as the Nick Gates situation, but also the center spot there with John Feliciano, right? Is he the answer for this year? Sure. Is it the answer for the next three years? Eh, you know, we'll see, right? So none of these things, the boxes that get checked this season aren't necessarily put in pen. They're put in 2022 pencil. And then you you, you look and see what it looks like the next offseason. You wanted to, it's it's labeled as the Nick Gates situation. I just because I leave this to you. I don't know. I don't know what is intriguing about the Nick Gates situation, given the fact that coming off the gruesome leg injury. And coming off the fact that it's a new regime now, he's in a walk year. I just don't see what his value is to this team on a depth piece in the short term. Yeah. So we talked about this pre-show and you're like, Nick Gates, what? Like that was, that was not even part of your thought process. Yeah. Okay. So hear me out. We just talked about Shane Lemieux and we talked about how he was the worst pass blocking guard in all, all of the NFL when he was healthy and then he got hurt and he's been out with a leg injury. Nick Gates, <clears throat> there's a lot that is riding against him. One is John Feliciano was brought in, given guaranteed money, has familiarity with Bobby Johnson, has familiarity with Dable and Joe Shane. He seems to be the locked-in starter. Doesn't doesn't seem to even be a question right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can talk about Feliciano and his attitude and different things uh, you know, a little bit later. You have Max Garcia, who looks to be the backup center right now that the Giants brought in on a low-level deal. Um, so Nick Gates is the holdover. Suffered a gruesome injury, had a couple of setbacks. He counts, you know, the Giants could outright release him and save 2.1 million against the cap at him. Mm-hmm. But before this injury, let me let me go back a little bit. Before this injury happened, Nick Gates was the most versatile offensive lineman that the Giants had on their roster. Now, that's not saying much because the offensive line had guys like Nate Solder on it and and Matt Pert and other guys who who clearly were not up to snuff, right? Mm-hmm. But what I will say is Nick Gates showed versatility. <clears throat> in terms of being able to play offensive tackle, which they had him do in a pinch, and he was serviceable. They had him play gu- the guard position, which he seemed to be pretty good at. They thought he could be an above-average guard, and then they moved him over to the center position because the Giants were desperate for a center, and they signed him to a multi-year deal. The reason why I'm bringing up Nick Gates is because he might still be the most versatile offensive lineman when healthy that the Giants could have on this roster. So for me, there's really two things that I think about here. One is if he is healthy then you, you know, the 2.1 million to have him be able to play all five offensive line positions 
is kind of the Swiss Army knife that the that the Giants would love to have. Sure. If he's if he's clearly not healthy and doesn't have the ability to perform, the Giants can save two point one million. It's not even a question. So for me, the question I have for you is: If Zudu wins the role at left guard, does Nick Gates end up being more valuable on this roster than than Shane Lemieux is? Oh, um, that's an interesting one. I think health is the big question, right? I, that that'd probably be the the piece that I would look at, and I think understanding that you know nick gates is going to be he's in a walk year so relative right if if shane lemieux is showing something for in bobby johnson's system if he looks like he's starting to develop his pass protection to your point like this is year number three but it's basically year number two for him because of the injury if he looks like he's coming along you know you have another season of control of him on that rookie contract so from that standpoint even though Nick Gates may look like the more talented player in the moment now today, you have to think about, well, could Shane Lemieux be here next year and be an interior depth piece for us? And could we project him coming back on another contract, right? Whereas if you're Nick Gates, I would say, what's the best case scenario for the Giants? And this isn't even a negative, is that he's a quality depth piece for them, to your point, right? He can be very versatile, plug and play if you need him to fill in a spot, assuming he can get back healthy here, right? Full year removed, has a lot of work to do to make sure that it's up to snuff. Um, and then what though, if you're Nick Gates, you want to go out and try to get paid somewhere, right? Like the giants aren't going to bring you back on a healthy contract. I wouldn't think, right. Unless you're looking across this line and saying, where's he going to plug in? Like almost to your point now, Feliciano, you want to, you know, they guaranteed him money. If Azudu develops and he takes over left guard, that's already the long-term prospect. Anyway, your tackles are already locked in and Glowinski is on a three-year contract. So, you know, Nick Gates doesn't have a starting role on this team. And I wonder though, it's not a bad point. I wonder if the Giants would look at him and say, what is he worth as this depth piece that we know we can utilize? I would tend to think that in the big picture, again, another year from now, remember, they have McCaithen as well. Remember, they're going to draft more young offensive linemen, right? So they're going to roll this over. I just don't think that he has a long-term viability on this roster. Short-term, maybe you're right. Um, I, 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 I think it comes down to how does Shane Lemieux look. That's, that, that's the bottom line. Because on paper and what you've seen on tape, Nick Gates has proven to be a more consistent, reliable player when healthy than Shane Lemieux. That much is that that's indisputable, right? That the question will be, yeah, can you hold on to that money and keep him around if he's healthy as well? That that was actually going to be my question to you. <clears throat> and and hear me out. You, you you were kind of questioning the idea talking about Nick Gates. He's only 27 years old. He's not he's not crazy old, and he's shown versatility on this roster. You said yeah. at their peak so far in the NFL, Nick Gates has looked better as an offensive lineman than Shane Lemieux has. It's just, it's, it's a fact. And, and so the, the point is very simple to me. I think Nick Gates makes this roster and stays on the roster. If he's healthy because of that versatility, if he's not healthy, then he's the, a third string center that can't perform and the giants could save 2 million in cap space. So I actually think if, if Nick Gates is healthy, there's a better chance that Azuda wins out the role and Nick Gates ends up being kind of the swing positional player, um, you know, in the mix for the Giants, especially because Nick Gates is so well liked, and and this comeback story is is kind of taking a life of its own. All the players are excited to see Nick Gates back in camp. Sure, no, listen, it's not it's not bad, man. You, you got me closer to it being intriguing than not. It'll be interesting to see again. Now we're talking about remember eight of the fourteen offensive linemen on the roster were brought in by first year general manager Joe Shane. Eight of the 14 guys that are in camp on this offensive line are first-year players with the organization. And the second team at the end of last week for the offensive line, it included uh, Devery Hamilton, Joshua Zudu, Ben Bredesen, holdover from last year, Marcus McCaithen, the rookie, obviously, and then Matt Gano from left to right. 
and then uh, Garcia rotated in. So you talk about the guys they brought in, like a Garcia. A Garcia is far further away from being a contributor on this offensive line than he is closer. Uh, Bredesen's probably playing for a roster spot. And the question you're probably asking at some point is, Shane Lemieux, is he performing high enough here? And I think my big thing is look at the fact that he's getting those early reps, right? Could be out of necessity. Who else is in camp? But he's there getting those reps right now as things get underway. Does Bredesen hold up? Does he look like a guy worthy of a roster spot, right? Some of these things are going to play into Nick Gates and what happens there. The interesting thing for me then is, which I thought this ties in nicely, as we like to do, is we're, you know, we think about Daniel Jones, and obviously the, the play in front of him is going to be a huge factor in how successful he is and how successful the team is. There was a couple of things that I wanted to that I, I want to bring up here. First, and we've done this before. You've mentioned some names. We talk about comparing him to Josh Allen and what he did his first couple of seasons and how look at the completion percentage, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought it'd be a little bit more interesting if I brought up a couple of guys like this. First and foremost, obviously, this is all based on the first three seasons as an NFL quarterback. When you look at it compared to Eli Manning, Daniel Jones blows his completion percentage out of the water. 63% for Daniel Jones, 54 for Eli Manning. His rating, 84 versus 73 in favor of Daniel Jones. And even touchdowns to interceptions. We're taking the one thing we're taking off the board here, you want to say, the, the fumbles. We're not taking it away as if it doesn't exist. But for the points of this conversation, 45 touchdowns to 29 interceptions for Jones, 54 to 44 for Eli Manning. So we, and we've, we've talked about this before, right? He's had a better start of his career than Eli Manning did from, from many statistical categories. But Andy, what if I told you that there was another player who recently won a Super Bowl that when you compared his numbers, Daniel Jones is slightly better at 59%, 60% for Matt Stafford as a completion percentage and over his first three seasons through 60 touchdowns, 37 interceptions. Obviously, the ratio is a little high there, but when you look at that, and I have two more guys I want to I want to bring to the table here, but that's Matt Stafford. And I I just the thought that I had was you said this before. <clears throat> Daniel Jones has been done no favors. John Mara mentioned that going back and contextualizing his first three seasons, understanding how bad the team has been overall compared to some players who also like a Matt Stafford played with a bad team in Detroit. Right. You can have some level of success. And then that means that you still can get better here and grow over the next, you know, we think this season, at least if you want to earn that contract. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I am a little bit more of an apologist for Daniel Jones than others may be. A lot of people have already said he is not our guy. Mm -hmm. I, I know Adam, you feel that the most likely scenario is the giants will be in the market for a new quarterback come next season. I think that there is an opportunity for Daniel Jones to be able to perform at a high enough level that he comes back or the Giants franchise tag him or they work out some kind of agreement. Uh, look, it's it's why we mentioned Shane Lemieux at the top of the show too, Adam. He was the worst pass blocking guard in all of football. How are you supposed to see what Daniel Jones has when you have literally the worst guard out there protecting him? We need to do a better job. That's why, to your point, I want Azuda to win the job because Anything is better than the worst. Like, well, and, I, and here's the thing too. I, I don't. I think that you. I, I think you can still know what Daniel Jones is already. Like, I'm. Uh, that's where you and I differ a little bit. Like, I don't look at it and go, "Well, the offensive line play was bad, so how can you pass judgment on Daniel Jones?" I'm more saying, like, you may know what his ceiling is. You may think you have an idea of his ceiling. But what I'm, but my point that I'm making is, look at these other players, these other quarterbacks that have gone to have very successful NFL careers, and understand, even as shaky as things have been, even if his ceiling is not. Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, he still tracks as a guy 
that has had more success than maybe people realize. And it's beyond the stats. And that's always what I look to, too, right? It's the eye test. It's the bad decision making that we talked about. That's going to be the thing this season that determines his fate. Do you throw terrible interceptions when you need to get rid of the ball? Bad looks in the red zone, right? When you should be running with it and you try to force it into a pocket at the end zone, at the end line, and you end up throwing a pick that effectively seals the fate of the game. I'll quickly go through these other two names just because I think it's worth it's worth putting into Giants fans' heads. Uh, over 46 career starts in the first 30, th- three seasons, 33 and 13 record. You got to love that. But two percentage points lower in completion percentage and also had a 66 to 34 touchdown to interception. Very successful, obviously, in that regard. And narrowly only two and a half points better from a QB rating perspective. That's Matt Ryan over his first three seasons compared to Daniel Jones. Statistically, the decision making needs to get better for Daniel Jones. But go back and think about Matt Ryan had a pretty healthy, strong team around him early in his career. It's why he had a 33 and 13 record. The last guy, because none of these players compare on one level, and that's the mobility. You want to talk about maybe the gold standard of it, and this is where the divide starts to create. That's Russell Wilson, a guy who was rated 98.6 over his first three seasons, 36-12 and 12 record, and threw for 72 touchdowns, just 26 interceptions, and also ran for nearly 1,900 yards to Daniel Jones 1,000 over the first three years. The reason why I bring him up, though, is – Russell Wilson was 23, 25, 24 years old when he started in the league. And this is what I mean about did the Giants, that the Giants did Daniel Jones extra dirty. I think the one, the one spot where I could push a pause on the idea of do you now where you drafted him obviously matters. But if this was 20 years ago, you would have looked at a Daniel Jones, even being drafted high, and you would have said, We're going to sit him for two years, let him learn, let him develop, right? That long gone are the days of letting guys develop like Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre. I'm not saying that you would have sat Daniel Jones for the first two or three seasons of his career, but his entire rookie season, right? And let let Eli Manning play out that string. What could the difference have been of just this kid being able to develop and study? And I just, we talked about this once before. You can sit here and say, Look at his age. You know what the money is going to mean, and that's the biggest part of this commitment. But there is this world where if you discover this season that you think he can be a top 15 quarterback in the league, well, that means you have another 10 to 15 years of this player, right? So sometimes the timeline gets a little bit skewed because it's almost by overexposure. We've seen Daniel Jones for three seasons. We've seen a lot of the lows. We've seen some small flashes of highs. The truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. It doesn't mean that I'm any more committed to, you know, the Giants should bring him back or he's totally worth it. He's a franchise guy. But to your point, when you looked around the roster over the last three years, it's not like this was a healthy organization. And I think it at least should give some leeway to where where I think, what does he need to show this year and year number four to make it worth picking up the franchise tag next season? There's probably a little more wiggle room than maybe some Giants fans, myself included, would like to see. It must be nice if you're Russell Wilson to walk in uh, to a defense yeah. that is, is called the Legion of Boom. They have four Hall of Famers in the secondary. They're a defensive-led team. It also must be nice if you're Russell Wilson to have someone, I don't know, like Marshawn Lynch, who can actually run the ball and get four or five yards to carry. When you think about the situation that Daniel Jones is in, you know, the, the, the defense took a step back last year. The offensive line was probably the worst in the entire league. Saquon Barkley couldn't stay healthy, and they had zero rushing attack. And, and the interesting thing that one stat that I like, like to look at is yards per attempt yards per attempt for a quarterback shows how much they can push the ball downfield, how balanced the team is, how accurate the quarterback is, how explosive the wide receivers are. It kind of paints a little bit of a picture. 
And when you look at, at yards per attempt, Daniel Jones was at 6.7 yards per attempt. He was he was in the bottom five of the entire starters in all of the league. That goes to the conservative nature of the play calling under Jason Garrett, but it also goes into, into the lack of rushing attack. Because when you look at it, Adam, the other the other player, uh, the other teams that are kind of in that bottom, uh, I don't know, four or five in terms of yards per attempt are Houston, Buffalo, and Miami. Now you may say, oh, Josh Allen's on there, so why does yards per attempt matter? The Buffalo Bills had no rushing attack whatsoever. And so Josh Allen had to manufacture passing plays that looked like run plays to be able to get four or five yards in short, quick out routes, which is what Dayball might have to do if the Giants don't have a rushing attack. So for me, the reason why I bring all this up is because you talk about Daniel Jones being done dirty. I think he has because we've had a defense taking a step back, a terrible offensive line, and no run game. How is a quarterback supposed to press the ball down the field when there's no threat of a rushing attack? There's no time for him to be able to throw. And they're always playing from behind because the defense is giving up scores. Like to me, that is a recipe for Daniel Jones never having a real opportunity to show what he's capable of. Yeah, see, and and, and that's where you take it a little too far, right? Because he also showed you how awful he can be protecting the football. He also showed terrible decision-making even when he had time. Like, and that's, this is why I bring it up to say there's a world where he can succeed. And also, and this is the problem, I think. I think that it falls into these two camps of either it's totally over and the Giants need to prepare for next year's draft class or kind of a little bit what you're saying. And I know, and I know that I know that there's, there's validity to a lot of your points. And also it's like Daniel Jones never got a fair shake in his life. Like, you know, there's plenty of examples, including Matt Stafford, like over the first three years of Matt Stafford's career, nobody doubted that he was the franchise quarterback. They only doubted whether or not Detroit was a total train wreck. And were they ever going to be able to give him an opportunity to be successful? Right. That's the difference. When you're a top, when you're top tier quarterback from a draft, you know, stock perspective, you need to have at least already checked those boxes to say, yeah, it's been total crap. And guess what? I'm still one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Daniel Jones hasn't done that to this point. And that's where I think the divide is on what he can be. What is his ceiling or what did he, what should he have been able to show? You mentioned it about Josh Allen, right? Has Buffalo, they've risen over these last few years. They've been ascending. Josh Allen was completing under 60% of his passes. And from year one to year two, and from year two to year three, you start to say, oh, okay, here we go. And Buffalo is a much better run organization. They were developing and building better, but no running game but he uses his legs and he doesn't get hurt when he runs. Like all of these things are the swirl of factors, but it just, I think this is the, the instant reaction piece of it. It's been three years. The, the concerns that I have around Daniel Jones are health. And it's around this idea that we're going to paint a picture of because of all these other factors, we dismiss or overlook things that are obviously issues with Daniel Jones, things that are correctable things that he can get better at, but they are still problems. And that that's the separation that I want to make here. This offensive line, we want to see it get better. We want it to be stronger. It looks like it's already going to be by default. Adding Neil, you have Thomas, and whatever happens in between there at the guard and center positions, that's great. But Daniel Jones still now needs to take that and say, not only am I going to show that my mistakes were things that I own and got better at, now I'm going to excel even more because I have a good offensive line in front of me, right? Like that's the difference here. It can't be enough to say, now I don't do some of the, you know, now I can throw the ball seven yards, you know, what have you, right? Yards after the catch, throwing to these quick receivers, that could make him look a lot better this year than the stats should should indicate to you, right? So it falls into this weird, it's this weird swarth that I introduced information that maybe gives Giants fans some pause and try to give Daniel Jones a healthy opportunity. 
And then Andy got too excited, and I had and then I had to bring myself and everyone else back in the same moment. <laughs> Listen, Adam. What a Monday. At the end of the day, I listened to Brian Dable talk about Daniel Jones, and he says, I want him to make mistakes in practice. I want him to try to fit balls into tight windows because I want to know what we're capable of. Yeah, that is can a you do it or not. But that's the point. Yeah, can you do it? What right? And that's a 180 degree shift from where it was last year, where Jason Garrett's like, we're just going to make sure Daniel Jones doesn't turn the ball over. And so for me, I'm excited because this shift in mentality will one way or another prove whether or not I'm right in that Daniel Jones is a starting quarterback in the NFL, or you're right that Daniel Jones is not because you can't straddle the fence with me and no, say no, no, that you no, think no, he's no, good no, or he's no, not. No, no, no. You can't Either you're in the boat or you're not. You can't straddle that. You think that he's the franchise quarterback for the Giants, not a starting quarterback in the NFL. You think he's the franchise quarterback. I can think he could be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I don't have to think that he's a franchise quarterback that the Giants should invest 30 plus million dollars in. So don't yeah, don't try to straddle the fence on that line either. This is about the long-term future of the New York Giants franchise. Saying that Daniel Jones can be a serviceable quarterback, like we always say, do you want you want Kirk Cousins? Okay. I'll tell you that Daniel Jones can be Kirk Cousins for his career. Is that who you want? And neither you nor most Giants fans would say, oh, I'd love to have me some Kirk Cousins, a guy that can manage his way through seasons, but isn't going to get you over the hump, isn't going to win you playoff games, isn't going to win you championships. That's the difference we're talking about in the final year for Daniel Jones with no fifth-year option picked up. And by the way, the lack of the fifth-year option and going in naked to his fourth year is exactly the indication that the Giants are saying, you need to prove you're a franchise quarterback, not a starting quarterback, a franchise quarterback. Otherwise, I can go get John Q, whoever, to be, oh, maybe Tyrod Taylor, to be the bridge starting quarterback for this team that isn't going to cost me $30 million. Bottom just line, keep, just keep that Andy energy. He's, he's so, just so just keep me. that energy when Daniel Jones comes on the show. That's all I want you to do. When Daniel Jones comes on, I want you to keep that same energy. By the way, he said it himself. It's all on him. He took a full ownership of it. He has to be better. That's what What's a franchise like? quarterback is supposed to say. Right, yes, 100%. exactly. He said it. He has to be better, but that's the point. He knows it. He has to be better. No one else to blame but yourself. You can't keep pointing your fingers everywhere else but at yourself. And Daniel Jones hasn't done that. Now he needs to go prove it on the field. It's why Dable says, grip it and rip it, buddy. If you throw a 1,000 interceptions, guess what? I know you're not my franchise quarterback. We'll keep breaking down the position battles. This was a nice dovetail on the back end of the episode. We'll try to do things like this throughout the week, but we're going to look at the secondary. We're going to look at the linebacking core. We're going to look at the wide receiver room. There's a lot of opportunity here for some turnover and for some players to make names for themselves over the course of camp. You get us on YouTube where things are obviously building and having a great time over there. You follow, subscribe, you get the podcast where we get those needs fulfilled. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, always demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. 